As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to the England Show on The Athletic. Coming up today, we're looking ahead to England's Euro 2020 semi-final against Denmark at Wembley on Wednesday night. I'm joined by Flo Lloyd-Hughes and The Athletic's England correspondent, Jack Pitbrook. And we'll also be catching up with former Villa and Denmark defender Martin Larson to see how he's feeling ahead of the massive, massive game. We are better prepared for this semi-final in that We've lived it before. For example, in, after the game in Rome, the celebrations were at a certain level. Everybody was quite uh, calm about what was going on and we knew that we hadn't achieved what we want to achieve yet. Let's kick off then, Jack, your latest piece on The Athletic, which asks what happens if England go behind. I mean, hopefully they don't and they continue to concede zero goals in this tournament, but yeah. Talk us through the piece. So I was just thinking about questions that still remain about this England team uh, five games into their Euros campaign. And the one thing that we haven't seen yet is England having to chase a game. You know, that's obviously, if you never concede a goal, you're never going to be behind. But it probably will happen at some point, and particularly as the games get more and more pressure on them. I was just trying to think about what would it... What would it be like if England were chasing the game? Because they've never had to, they've never had to do that. All the England games have really followed a fairly similar pattern, which is, you know, England have been in control for the most part. The games, I think, have gone more or less in keeping with Southgate's plan. Obviously, Scotland is slightly different because England didn't score and it was nil-nil. But I kind of felt, I never felt like the game was out of Southgate's control then. And to be honest, I think Southgate was pretty happy to, to draw that one nil-nil in the end. But I've just been wondering what, you know, it's kind of the huge question. Let's say England concede early on against Denmark on Wednesday night. I wonder how they'd react. 
Because even going back to, say, the 2018 World Cup, we don't have that much evidence of, of how they do, you know, putting aside the Belgium dead rubber in Kaliningrad, which I think wasn't really a proper contest. England were never behind then, apart from the last 10 minutes against Croatia in the semi-final. So it would be a huge test, I think, of England's nerve and their ability to keep cool heads and keep playing their game under pressure. And also, to be honest, a bit of a test of the crowd to see if the crowd got antsy on their backs, whether or not England would just continue to play their game and come through it, or would it get a bit Icelandy? Yeah, I mean, I just spoke to Martin Larsson, the former Denmark defender, which is coming up later on in the show, flow, and he said that'll be what Denmark want. They'll want to be that team that gets ahead against England and maybe can get the crowd antsy because it is such a big occasion. If that did happen, how do you think England would cope? I think they would cope better than they have previously. Um, I mean, yeah, Jack mentioned getting Icelandy and I think that is probably the biggest worry but I think so much has changed since that kind of awful day as it were I mean it was pretty pretty awful so I think I think they would manage it well and I think there's more of a belief now there's less of a panic um yeah. and I think we've always seen panic in England squads of the past but I think there's an assuredness I do think it is perhaps worrying in some ways not knowing what it feels like to concede a goal at all like let alone actually going behind like not knowing what it's going to be like so it'll be interesting how that affects Jordan Pickford especially because he has been such an important piece of the puzzle for England we've talked a lot about how he's developed and and tried to control his emotions but he hasn't felt the feeling of conceding a goal yet in this tournament so it'll be really interesting to see how that affects them whatever time it might come but that does worry me certainly is especially if it's an if it's an early goal and the clock ticks on and the tension rises you know some of these players are really inexperienced rice and phillips you know are tasting this for the first time and can they handle it yeah. i think a late goal would concern concern me quite a lot as well if england went behind but it is that trip into the unknown jack it, it's a really really difficult one i guess the scotland game is the only one we can really draw experience from. And you were at Wembley that day. That game was not going well. And on the TV, it came across like the crowd were getting answer. What was that the case? Yeah, I thought the crowd got very nervous in the Scotland game um, because because England weren't playing well, really. And they didn't... England obviously wanted to continue to play quite a patient game through that through that second half of the Scotland game. And I sensed from some of the England fans, they wanted England to be a bit more aggressive, you know, even if that meant bringing on Calvert-Lewin and getting the ball quickly up to him. Uh, And whereas you could tell that Southgate actually was pretty happy to sit on the nil-nil. You know, he left Phillips and Rice on all the way through, which I think raised quite a lot of eyebrows. Um, That said, the Germany game, the atmosphere was completely different. And even though it was still nil-nil with, what, 20, 25 minutes to go... I thought the crowd were really positive throughout. So it's going to be interesting to see which way the crowd goes on Wednesday evening. You know, are they going to be fully supportive and positive all the way through like they were with Germany? Or are they going to get a bit nervous and impatient if England haven't scored early as they did against Scotland? Um, And I just don't know. I mean, with this kind of thing in football, you just don't know until you get there, really. There's no way of really kind of figuring figuring it out in advance. Yeah, this is definitely one of the big questions. And this is really... arguably the first time England have been under a lot of pressure I think this this game the group stage was pretty comfortable the Germany game was 
such a big occasion I don't think England were necessarily expected to win. And then the Ukraine game was incredibly comfortable as well, whereas this time it's a really difficult opponent, and it's all, but it's also England are favourites at the same time, which is quite a difficult dynamic given how big the stakes are. Yeah, and Flo, that, just going back to that Scotland game again, it didn't really feel like there was the trust of the nation in the team and in the manager at that point, which probably played a part to the crowd's reaction. Do you think enough time has elapsed since then and the trust has been fully gained that they wouldn't get on the backs, they would support the team, they do trust the process? Yeah, and I think there were other things at play. I mean, obviously Scotland's a big rival. Lots of Scots had come into town for the event Mm -hmm. and made a lot of noise. And I think there was a sense of England fans just wanted to see this team blow them away. They wanted to see them put away a big rival and almost kind of like embarrass them on their big day out. And I think that probably added a lot to the tension and a lot to the frustration around the defensive nature of the team and how they played. Because it's, you know, on on paper and in reality, this that team is so much better than Scotland. So they should have been blowing them away. Whereas now I'm hopeful, but you know, you never know with football fans, I'm hopeful that tomorrow night there'll be a sense of reality of like the occasion, the opposition and the pressure like Jack mentioned that's on them and they have there has to be a patience around that with, with Scotland they you know people just wanted to see a big kind of performance like they got against Ukraine that's what they wanted to see in that Scotland game but it, it showed that being patient has paid off so I think it was just more of you know you've paid your money and you expect big things kind of situation rather than a distrust of of Southgate Southgate has got many priorities Jack as England manager but in the setup do you think priority number one is do not concede do you think that's his main priority I think so yeah I think so I think he's Southgate knows that clean sheets win World Cups he's seen you know Spain for example 2010 I think they won all their knockout games 1-0 um, France had an incredibly good defence when they won in 2018 uh, they 1-0 against Belgium in the semis 2-0 against Uruguay in the quarters, that was very much a World Cup win based on defence. Uh, even Portugal 2016, um, clean sheet against France in the final, lots of clean, even though they were pretty poor in the group stage, lots of clean sheets through the knockout rounds. So I think Southgate knows that clean sheets are how you win tournaments, or at least they're, well, they're a kind of necessary but not sufficient condition to winning a tournament. And to be honest, the team has delivered on that far better than anybody would have expected. You know, before the tournament, if you ask people about England, they say, well, you know, lots of great players going forward, but I worry a bit about the defence. Like, literally nobody, even the most, like, bullish uh, England optimists would not have expected us to get five clean sheets in five games. And I think that's testament not just to uh, Pickford, Maguire and Stones, who I think have all been phenomenal but also the fullbacks and just the whole organisation of the team. Like, this is a really well-organised, well-drilled England team, which is able to play in different formations. It's, uh, it's you know, it, at times I think they have started to look like a club team in the last few games, which is the ultimate proof that an international team is functioning very well. Um, so, and Southgate was asked after the uh, after the Ukraine game in Rome on Saturday night, you know, the five clean sheets, and isn't that testament to, to Pickford? Pickford, Maguire and Stones and he said well actually it's kind of to do with the whole system so England are clearly a team which is built not to concede goals and I don't think they're going to get overrun by Denmark but Denmark are a very canny clever team with a huge emotional motivation of their own and that's why you know I'm starting to think as we get slightly closer to the game that it could be pretty difficult out there 
Flo, I guess the clean sheets thing as well, England deserve a huge amount of credit because there has been those switch of systems and there has been the change of personnel as well. When you think about Tyra and Ming starting the tournament next to John Stones, I'm not sure how many games they'd played together for England before we came into the tournament. Also, the fact that Maguire has played the last couple of games coming back off a, off a bad injury as well, and it has all just been seamless. Yeah, I do actually feel sorry for United fans and for Solskjaer because that is he could be inheriting a fairly battered Harry Maguire by the end of the tournament because he's not coming back from an easy injury and it sounds like he might have been rushed along a tad. But yeah, I mean, the the, the versatility of these players, the flexibility of them all to be able to adapt so quickly and to kind of come in and out of the team and make it seem so seamless is, is really impressive. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is testament really to Southgate's planning. Like the fact that England England have been playing sort of sort of four three three really from uh, autumn twenty eighteen through to autumn twenty nineteen. Then COVID came, and then in autumn twenty twenty he goes back to the back to the three four three system, and then in the spring of this year he goes back to the four two three one. So by this point England have got two very different systems they've been working on and. Back in, you know, those games last autumn, they felt pretty pointless at the time, really. They just felt like an exercise in, we've got to get these games on so we can put them on telly to make a bit of money back for the FA. But in practice, they were really, really useful for England because, you know, they allowed Southgate to bring back Kyle Walker, put him on the right of the back three, uh, try playing a different way. And that meant that when England did that against Germany with Walker moving inside from that fullback position in a forward to the right of the back three, he was really, really good at it. And uh, we, we shouldn't underestimate the tactical importance of Kyle Walker and being able to play in those two positions, which is really allowing them to play the system. And if we do play the back three tomorrow night, and at this stage, I don't actually know whether we will or not, uh, Walker's flexibility and being able to do those two different jobs is going to be hugely important. Yeah, definitely. And I also think Walker plays better in the back three anyway. I think we haven't seen yeah. the best of him anyway as in that right wing back role and obviously he's got immense speed but I just think we too, we see too much of the same thing of him just absolutely bombing it cutting inside and then not really seeing enough end product so I actually think it would be beneficial I mean we're going to go on to starting lineups later and Michael Cox's piece but I certainly think a back three would kind of get the best out of England I think Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is The England Show from The Athletic. Keep up to date with all of our Euro 2020 podcasts and writing by following us at The Athletic UK. Yeah, Jack, I just wanted to ask you about Steve Holland. As, as the England man for The Athletic, I mean, I sound like John Barnes there, but as, as the England man for The Athletic, we saw. I don't know whether you saw that video clip of when the third goal went in. Steve Holland's there in Southgate saying, get the yellow cards off, get the yellow cards off, get those players off. 
How much of a say does Holland have to the, t- the tactical changes within a game? Yeah, they're really, really close, Holland and Southgate. And I think generally Holland is more in charge of the sort of tactics and training side of it, whereas Southgate's a bit more a bit more to do with the kind of motivational man management side. It's not, not to say that, you know, Southgate doesn't do any tactics and that Holland doesn't do any man management, but I think in, in a kind of so a bit of a crude generalisation that's basically the division of labour between the two of them. And so it's Holland who runs the training sessions and some some of the players find it pretty hard work, to be honest, working for Steve Holland because he does work them very hard. But uh, I think, you know, the evidence of this the success of, of this is, is apparent on the pitch. I mean, clearly, England are looking like a very, very well-trained outfit at the moment who are able, who are able to play with tactical intelligence. So I think that that little moment is just testament to the amount of uh, the amount of influence and insight that Steve Holland brings to that role. Yeah, I was just wondering, Jack, as well. What, what's Chris Powell's role? I've seen him looking very excited on the sideline at certain moments in games. What, what's his role within the setup? Yeah, so he's been part of the England England coaching team for a few years now. He just seems to be. I think he you know, will obviously help out Steve Holland with with lots of the drills. I imagine he kind of works specifically with the defenders and just seems to be a really really popular guy. You know, obviously he's. Had a great career as a player and a coach. Did represent England for a bit under Sven Joran Eriksson, and uh, since then has gone into management and has managed, you know, has managed Charlton, uh, various other clubs. I think Huddersfield and Southend, I think, as well as working at the Tottenham Academy. So he's got huge amounts of experience uh, at all levels of the game as a player and a coach, and uh, you know, is able to bring that experience to bear as part of the England setup. Yeah, and Flo, you briefly mentioned Michael Cox's piece. He's suggesting that Southgate may be considering switching back to a 3-4-3 to Denmark just, just to match them up. Although I would say after speaking to Martin Larson, it's not 100% that Denmark will play three at the back themselves. It would be a bold move, but we've, we've, we've learned at this point not to second-guess Southgate and that Gareth Southgate does what he wants. Yeah, I mean, if anyone is going to be able to maybe predict what Southgate's going to do, I would give Michael Cox certainly the best chance. I mean, he puts it much better in his piece, so I'm going to kind of probably completely trash that and how I try and explain it. But in his piece, he kind of showcases perfectly why four at the back probably won't work against this Denmark team, regardless if they play three at the back or they go to a 4-3-3. And I think it's that, like we mentioned it before, you know, a few seconds ago, that versatility and that, and that flexibility of Southgate playing three at the back and then being able to adapt to potentially uh, have two up top and bring Mason Mount into midfield instead of being part of a front three and all these options which Michael Cox explained is probably the best bet because then Southgate can predict whether you know they change midway through the match or whether they line up as a with four or three at the back he's got those options and I think when you kind of read the piece, you think, yeah, that's smart. That makes sense. But obviously, like you said, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and Southgate might do something completely different. I, I personally, having kind of now, we've obviously spent, what, three, four days talking about this match. I've now convinced myself he's definitely not going to play four at the back. But yeah, I mean, we, you know, he's, he's full of surprises, but it, it just feels like it makes sense. And he's a smart guy and all signs kind of point to that would be the best thing to do. I mean, who am I to question Michael Cox, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and do it anyway, Jack. He kind of says that that four of the back isn't really viable against Denmark and it wouldn't have been viable against Germany either. Do you agree with that? I definitely think that four at the back wouldn't have been viable against Germany because uh, I think England would have found it really difficult to deal with 
uh, Kimmich and Gosens at wing back, who obviously destroyed Portugal in the group stage. And really, the the beauty of the three four three in the Germany game was that Shaw and Trippier, the England wing backs, were able to pin back uh, Gosens and Kimmich and really neutralise, basically turn Germany's big tactical problem, uh, which they posed England into something which wasn't a problem for us anymore. Denmark aren't quite the same. Like, I don't think, you know, they're obviously very good, but I don't think they're quite as dangerous in those wing-back areas. So I guess the question really for Southgate is, are Denmark sufficiently dangerous that it's worth playing a specific system to neutralise their threats, or are they a team that England can impose themselves on? And they get Denmark to worry about our problems. I mean, that is you know, that's basically like the the number one question. Anytime any manager picks a team, isn't it? It's do we neutralise their threat or do we give them something to worry about ourselves? Uh, how which way Southgate's going to go? I don't know. I mean, Southgate, you know, is keeping things very under wraps for now. Uh, we haven't got any any word as to what the team might be. Um, I have to say, I'm kind of persuaded towards the argument that we should go for the three again, just because that was you know our best performance in the tournament was playing a three. Uh, I think they will want that extra solidity. They won't want to get caught out in wide areas. But I, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> none of us do, Jack. None of us do. I mean, Michael says in that in that piece, flow that playing a three at the back was in a way perceived as a negative move by a lot of people. But actually, it's about gaining an element of control and, and perhaps going to three at the back does give England that control. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, I think Jack just mentioned, it's just about matching up. It's just about kind of reducing those opportunities, reducing those gaps, reducing those holes and not being overwhelmed in certain areas of the pitch especially in midfield and I think if England I mean we know that Southgate is that kind of guy he's all about reducing risk so it makes sense if you look at kind of his past and this tournament it would make sense that he would try and do that and just match up to limit um, how England could could get exposed so yeah certainly it kind of makes sense in that respect yeah and Jack how much credit does the Southgate deserve for isolating the games he's had a completely different game plan for each game there's been some wild card selections at times people coming in from nowhere but in the way he's isolated these games it's really made England different and made England a success yeah I think what's been so impressive about England so far is that Gareth Southgate has picked a different plan for every game you know no team has ever been the same it's been a different uh, different selections, sometimes a different formation, depending on what he thinks the situation demands. And every time it's worked, you know, he's never picked a popular team. He's never picked a team that the fans would have picked. And that goes through to, you know, playing Sterling in the first game to only play Grealish against Czech Republic and then going back to the back three for Germany and all the rest of it. So, um, his, but England's progress in the tournament so far proves that Southgate selections have been working. And I think, you know, whatever people might think about them, uh, clearly Southgate has earned the right to keep choosing the team that he thinks is right. So um, I don't know exactly what he's going to decide for the Denmark game on Wednesday night, but I do think, I, I, I do trust that it will be the right approach because I think Southgate's earned the right to be trusted. Yeah, definitely got so much credit in the bank now. And Nick Miller's written a piece on The Athletic about how Southgate essentially has, has lightened the heavy England shirt and it's allowed the players to be themselves and has allowed the public to connect with them flow. All that stuff is just really important, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think we touched on it throughout the last couple of weeks doing this show, um, but we haven't really gone into it that much detail yet. And I think Nick's piece and um, Ollie Kay's piece looking really in depth at the, at the England culture and, and how they've transformed it is so important because these things don't just kind of like magically happen. They are 
they they there's a method in the madness you know it takes years to build these sorts of teams it takes years to build any sort of winning team and we've you know everyone has seen documentaries on Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever about those famous teams and about teams like the All Blacks and and the culture that they build and I think we probably take some of that for granted because we just think that Southgate's just got a bunch of really good talented players got them together and it's all just clicking but actually it's taken years to even get to this point of being semi-successful and getting into two semi-finals back to back and it's I think it's really like hats off really to a lot of people who work at the FA because I'm someone who has slagged them off a lot over the years and they're obviously you know for a lot of us a frustrating organization to kind of observe from the outside looking in but actually there's been some transformational changes on the men's and women's side that have got England to this point. And I think it's really important that we reflect on how much they have done that. And I've kind of touched on before about the culture of footballers in general and how that's changed and the, and how that's also reflected in our society and how culture's changed and how we don't necessarily see them as celebrities anymore in the kind of days of Posh and Becks are sort of gone. Those kind of untouchable on a pedestal godlike figures you know these people are much more relatable now and i think part of that is down to social media which is brilliant because we feel like we can engage with them and we can relate to them and we see a flash of their lives but also so much of it is about hard work of bringing in experts and and working hard to kind of transform the uh, transform the idea of what it means to play for england and we talked before about do these do these players care about how england have played against germany in the past and in reality they clearly do because they not only know what's gone on before but what they've tried to do now is create a new version with the history of the past but kind of redefine what it means in their own unique way and hopefully that continues with generations to come and this isn't just like the peak of what we're going to get as England fans or as journalists hopefully this is the start of an amazing journey for English football on both men's women's and all the youth teams as well yeah Jack that the culture shift over the last few years for England has just been huge hasn't it yeah it's been amazing it's been the single biggest change that I think Southgate has made has been the way that Southgate has made it important to play for England again, you know, he he's rediscovered a sense of identity when it comes to the England team. And this is something which Ollie wrote about beautifully in his piece the other day. He's, um, whether that's, you know, giving the players the cap numbers to prove that they are just a small part in a very long and historical process, um, right down to the kind of branding stuff with three lines and everything. Uh, Southgate has tapped into or he's kind of rediscovered a a shared ethos and shared meaning to pulling on the England shirt which I think has had been hugely important not just to the men's senior team but all the England teams at all levels really have drawn on this and I think you can see that in the sort of spirit and unity of the England team not just in this particular World Cup but throughout the last few years Two great raids from Nick Miller and Ollie Kay there. And if you are not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then all you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash England pod and you can get involved for our best ever price. Just before we talk about what else is on The Athletic at the moment, what we've been enjoying, let's talk to Martin Larson, the former Denmark international and Aston Villa captain. Let's get the Danish perspective and see how he's feeling leading into the semi-final. And it's Denmark! 
from this wave of emotion and global feeling who go on to the last four of Euro 2020. Martin, thanks ever so much for joining us on the England show today. Delighted to get the chance to speak to you and I suppose you're delighted with how things have gone for Denmark so far. Oh yeah, everyone in Denmark over the moon about how the team has performed, especially after what happened with uh, Christian Eriksen. So everyone has great expectations for um, for the game uh, against England. Um, everyone thinks that it's going to be very difficult. England play at home. I think the players and and the people in Denmark think they they have a chance. Yeah, sure. I mean. Some people actually, I heard a lot of people in this country who had Denmark down as the dark horses of the tournament at the start of the tournament. What what was the mood going into the tournament like for, for Denmark fans? Did, did they ever dream of being in the semi-final? A dream, yes. And uh, and <laughs> when I when I looked at the team, the players, where they play, uh, the recent results uh, for Denmark before going into the tournament, I, I thought that they could do really well. To go into a semi-final or perhaps a final was perhaps a little bit too much, perhaps, but uh, you, can all, you can always dream. But I, I always thought that the team was very, very good because of, because of the players and they play how they play and, and the great manager and everything. Then, you know, we all know what happened to Christian uh, Eriksen and it was like that, that nothing... Nothing was uh, important anymore with uh, with the football. All the the expectations, all the great possibilities for Denmark, they were just they just disappeared. You know, our best player, and he almost died, and uh, everything. Um, but then, then uh, Christian was was uh, on his feet again, and he came to to the hotel and said hello to the players, and and after that, they could focus on playing football again, and. And a little bit lucky to go through with three points uh, after losing the, the first two matches. But then then I think uh, against Wales and against Czech Republic, Denmark has shown uh, great football. It feels like there's a few similarities actually between the two countries. But the, the main thing at the moment is that momentum factor. The momentum now is, is truly with Denmark and with England. But those those knockout games that they've really galvanised Denmark, and, and they won't fear England now, will they? I think they will definitely have a lot of respect because um, we talk about that that Denmark they have a lot of great players, but but uh, great players is not enough. Uh, I think when you look at some of the players in in the England squad, I think you you have to to use words as world class players, big mm. stars in 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 Premier League and. Um, yeah, Harry Kane uh, has shown that, that he can can score goals for for England as well recently. So, and with Sterling, uh, it will it will be it will be tough. But I mean, Denmark has has a lot of energy in the in the team. They they can really feel that people are behind them, that people love them. You you should see how they how they uh, how people have uh, reacted in in Denmark after the win, and how people are up in Helsingør where where they. Where they live in the hotel, they they've gone crazy up there, and and the players they feel that they can see that, and it gives a lot of gives a lot of energy. I also think that it gives a lot of energy because they want to do well for Christian. It's something. It's Christian and the people in Denmark, and after what all all were, what happened, you know, it it uh, it gives a lot of motivation, and and you need that as a as a player also when you play these big tournaments. How much credit does the manager deserve? Because actually, like you say, Denmark's best player now hasn't hasn't featured in the in the tournament at all. And he's actually had to 
rejig his team and rejig his system a little bit. How much credit does the manager deserve for the way he's handled things? A lot. And he has got a lot of uh, credit as well in in Denmark. Not only the way they play football, but also the way he handled uh, the situation with uh, Christian Eriksen. He was very human with the players. I think that all the players could go home a little bit to their families after after what happened to, to Christian. And um, he's handled it really well. And... Um, and then after when he was uh, when he was fine again, Christian, I think that he has shown great manager skills uh, during um, during the matches. Has changed a little bit. Uh, Andreas Christensen can start um, at the back, but then he can also go go forward and play as a midfielder. He gives a, a chance to the younger players. Um, Mikkel Damsgaard played really well uh, for Denmark and. Now we'll see if he if 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 he will play tomorrow again against England. He can play with Yusuf Poulsen as well. But yeah, he's been he's been great. Uh, the manager, everyone thinks that, and we knew that. I mean, he is a great uh, manager. What do you make of like the defensive strength of each side? I mean, we don't know at the moment whether England will line up with a back three or a back four. But both teams, obviously, with you being a centre back as well, there's incredible strength at centre back for both teams. That's right, uh, but that's not a surprise. Um, both for 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 England, but also for Denmark. I mean, we have we have Kasper Schmeichel, we have Simon Kier, we have Andreas Christensen, uh, uh, that we all know are, are great great players. Um, and then Yannick um, uh, Vestergaard has has played recently, and and that's also the question with with Denmark: will they will they play with three with him, or will they play without? Vestergaard and then play with four uh, with Andreas Christensen and Simon Kier at the back, as they've done a lot. Um, but 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 I think perhaps that they will play with three because he's played he's played good as well, Yannick Vestergaard. Um, but uh, the, the the defensive defensive strength is uh, is not it's not a surprise for me, uh, both for for England and for Denmark. We we all knew that before before the tournament started. As a former centre back. How how difficult is it when when you're changing systems between going from a three three at the back to, to playing a back four? How difficult is that to to change between the two as a centre back? Um, it, it is it is a difference, but I think these players uh, they have trained so much uh, with uh, three at the back, uh, four at the back, and and it doesn't it's not like when you play with three at the back that it cannot be five at the back. It can also be four at the back. It depends. You know, when you have the ball, when you don't have the ball, you can change a lot the system and the players at the back. But obviously, it is a little bit different because if you play uh, with four at the back as a centre-half, you're more in the middle. If you play with three at the back and you play as the right uh, defender, then you are obviously more towards the sideline. And that can be a little bit different. Not if you're in the centre. That, 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 that would be the same but uh, if you play at the at the left or at the right, then it is a little bit uh, different, but but not so much. Obviously, both teams have benefited from having home advantage at various points during the tournament. But Denmark, actually, Wembley doesn't hold any fear for them because they've won there against in- England fairly recently. That's right. How much of a part do you think that will play psychologically? Ah, a little bit, but that 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 was then. Uh, but uh, obviously, they 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 remember it and uh, it gives them. A little, a little hope that they can do it again. That's what they dream about. But now is now is now, and um, 
and uh, the game that they have played uh, doesn't matter anymore. Um, but I think, I think obviously it is it is an advantage for for England that they play uh, at Wembley. Uh, Denmark cannot cannot get a lot of fans over because of the COVID nineteen restrictions, and um, and then it's also a little bit problem. I would say that Denmark played in Baku with a really, really long flight going to Baku and a really long flight the day after. And now, now they're on their way to, to, to London and the, the England team just had to go to Rome and back again. It is a little bit tiring, you know, when you have to, to travel that far. And, and the game was really hard. It was, it, it was tough. It was, it was warm against Czech Republic. Uh, so my, my, my biggest concern as a Dane is, is, you know, if they can regenerate uh, the batteries, uh, you know, and uh, and be and be fully fit for this game. Yeah, because it, it could actually turn into quite a cagey affair because of both teams are quite solid. We've, we've obviously already spoke about the, the defensive side of things. It could actually turn into to quite a battle this game, couldn't it? Well, definitely. Uh, Denmark, they, they like to go forward and uh, it's a semi-final. So obviously it'll be, it'll be, a, it'll be a hard played match. Uh, but still, I think that uh, they have a lot of respect for each other. I don't think the the England team uh, is uh, is a dirty team, and and neither is the Danish team. Uh, and there's a lot of players playing in England, and they know each other, so that they they they're gonna treat each other with uh, respect. So that's that will not be a problem. But I think it's gonna be a a tough game, and that's why I think that it's a little bit an advantage for for England. They that they played in Rome and just had to go back to to England and and they play at home in front of 60,000 English people that that supports them the problem for England obviously and what we hope in Denmark is that that Denmark will score the first goal and perhaps go to to the second half 1-0 in front and the people at Wembley will turn against the English team uh, so that that's that's the only thing that I know that people in Denmark are talking about that. That's the dream scenario. I mean, it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask you the, the question anyway. Just how much would you have loved to have played in a game like this? Well, very much. It's a long time ago that that I played, so I obviously accept that 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 was then. But uh, you always remember. You always remember. You know how it was. In I, I'm sure I'll do that when I'm 70 as well. You will never forget uh, the feeling you have, you know, when you play these big matches, when you play for your country, big stadiums, a historically fantastic stadium at Wembley. It's a dream come true for every player. Uh, so uh, it is something that they have to enjoy. Kasper Schmeichel said that as well, as well. You never know if you ever, if you ever experience something like that, this again. So it's a combination between enjoying the moment, but also just, let it go. Just, just go out and and do your best. Don't have any regrets when, when you when you finish the game and and it's going to be a great game. I would have loved to take part of it, but uh, that's many years ago. And you're you're a Villa man like me, Martin. So I've got to ask you about Jack Grealish. I mean, obviously you're wanting to stay at Aston Villa, and in England have got an array of sensational players. But I presume you wanted to stay on the bench for England as well. I don't. I don't exactly because I think he's. Uh, I think I think he's come come in and uh, and and done a lot of great things and uh, made the difference with uh, yeah I cannot remember but he he set up Harry Kane for a great goal 
um, and he's done well when he came in. But then the last, the last game in Rome, I, I don't think he he didn't come in at all, uh, and he's never starting uh, the game. So I think it's a little bit strange because I can also feel that the people in England they want him to play. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, so I don't exactly understand uh, Southgate, but he. He, he he prefers other players, um, but I think he's he's obviously a great great player, and he's done well for England uh, in this tournament when 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 he got the chance. Thanks ever so much for speaking to me. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Really really enjoyed it. Pleasure was mine. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Plenty of great stuff on the Athletic at the moment, building up to the game and beyond. What have you been enjoying? Yeah, so we mentioned Michael Cox's piece that's brilliant, um, Ollie Kay and, and Nick Miller as well. But I, I really enjoyed Jack's piece as well that we, we touched on at the beginning about um, what are England going to do in a crisis? Because I think that is, like we said, maybe the most worrying thing. So it's interesting to um, to read about what might happen, really, because I think it's the one thing that has been in the back of all our minds as fans, really, is kind of like, what if? Because it has been a bit of an easy ride so far. Yeah, I mean, I've had to stop reading stuff on The Athletic, to be honest, because it's, it's, all getting, it's all getting a bit too much. There's a lot of content on there at the moment. It's making me nervous reading all the stuff. So I think I just, I just need to get to Wednesday night now. Lots to read, plenty to read. Theathletic.com slash England pod, and you can subscribe for just a pound a month at the moment. Let's finish then with our starting 11s for the Denmark game. Then the big calls flow. What would your 11 be? Start with your shape, I guess. Yeah, so I'm basically just copying what Michael Cox said. Um, so not Sensible. very not very original, but yeah, I'm going for a 3-4-3. Three, three, and like he suggested, basically switching uh, Saka for Mount because Mount can drop into midfield if needed, if Southgate needs to, to kind of change the shape. So that's um, Pickford, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Trippier, Phillips, Ryshaw, Mount, Kane, Sterling. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with that because mainly because that's what I think he will do. I find it hard to pick a team when I have in my head that Southgate will do something. Gone are the days of me trying to just get Jack Grealish in there. I'm just going with what Southgate wants now. Let Gareth do what he wants. He's earned the trust. Jack, what about you? So in terms of the formation, I think I've probably been persuaded to the the merits of going to 3-4-3, keep it as similar to the Germany game as possible. So that would obviously mean Pickford... Walker Stones, Maguire is the back three. Shaw at left wing back. Trippier back in at right wing back, assuming he's fully fit. Uh, if not, James Phillips and Rice in the middle. 
Kane, Sterling, and one other up front. And I'd probably, I think I'd probably go for Mount. Mount in a three, Mount in a three four three. It means you're lacking a little bit of extra attacking edge because you know the, the when we played three four three against Germany, Mount wasn't available. Um, and so maybe there's an argument for having someone to run in behind, like a Saka, in there. But I think I might just start with Mount in that role, and then with the option of bringing on Saka or Grealish, or Sancho, or even Foden, uh, after an hour. Uh, just to go for a fairly similar plan to Germany, keep it tight, and then attack at the end. Uh, that's the team that I'd go for, but to be honest, I could be easily persuaded to go for the 4-2-3-1 and try and score early on and, and win the game like that, like England did against um, against Ukraine in Rome on Saturday evening. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily a right answer to this question, but I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. Right, that's it then, the final podcast before the massive semi-final on Wednesday night. Flo and Carl will be joining me after the game. Flo, I hope you have a great time, and Jack as well, covering the game for The Athletic. As I say, back after the game, there'll be a podcast out in the morning. So thanks ever so much for listening, and thanks to the guys for joining me today. The Athletic.